Today we are continuing our leadership series, and over the last few weeks we have studied the wise leadership of Solomon, the dividing leadership of Rehoboam, and today we focus on the idolatrous leadership of Jeroboam. Our scripture comes from 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 to 33. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Not very far from where we were last week. Uh, We're just going to pick up verse 25, moving down to 33, and we're going to read together in one voice. Are you ready? Three, two, one. No. (laughs) Here we go. The scripture's on the screen. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who bought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the fifteenth day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story coming from 1 Kings 12, the life of Jeroboam. And Lord, today I pray that you teach us about what not to do. How not to repeat history, how not to make idols and to worship them in our lives. Father, today I pray that you dethrone every idol that we carry today, every idol that we hold precious in our lives, that it would have no place and Jesus Christ would have preeminence in our lives. So Jesus, we need your help to identify these things. And Lord, I pray that you give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what your spirit is showing us and telling us today. We want to obey your word. We want to be undivided in our heart. We want to serve you best. So Father, we need your help this morning. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. When we survey the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, we notice that true worship was a key characteristic of those who did what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Alternatively, idolatry was a key characteristic of those who did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And every day, you and I are confronted with this same choice. Will we worship God or will we worship a substitute, something else for God? 
in his bestseller book, The Reason for God, Pastor Tim Keller tells us of what happens when we make good things into ultimate things. If you center your life and your identity on your spouse or your partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life and identity on your family and your children, you will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you may hurt them when they displease you. If you center your life and identity on your work and your career, you will be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you will lose family and friends, and if your career does poorly, develop deep depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you will be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up your life. If you center your life and identity on pleasure, gratification, and comfort, you will find yourself getting addicted to something. You will become chained to the escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, you will be constantly hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. You will fear confronting others and therefore will be a useless friend. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, you will divide the world into good and bad, and you will demonize your opponents. Ironically, you will be controlled by your enemies, and without them, you will have no purpose. And if you center your life and identity on religion and morality, you will, if you are living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and even cruel. If you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. Friends, these are the idols that can never satisfy our souls. These false gods deceive us, leaving us feeling more empty. This morning, I want us to study a king named Jeroboam from 1 Kings 12, 25 to 33 in order to discover how idolatry is worship taken out of context, how idolatry is worship done out of convenience, and how idolatry is worship that is counterfeit. Let's look at the first example this morning. Idolatry is worship taken out of context, verses 25 to 27. The scripture says, Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. And if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. In verse 26, we find the first interpretive clue, Jeroboam thought to himself. We need to carefully monitor our thought life on a regular basis. Our thought life can lead us into dangerous places, into dangerous thoughts. And instead of resting on God's promises on his life, Jeroboam started overanalyzing his situation. The kingdom of David being divided into Israel in the north and Judah in the south, Jeroboam had encountered a worship dilemma. What will he do? Solomon's temple was located in Jerusalem and was in the jurisdiction of Judah under the control of King Rehoboam. And if the whole nation was to worship their God rightly, they would have to journey all the way into Judah to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. 
Therefore, that location of that temple gave Rehoboam a political advantage that Jeroboam did not have. With fear of losing power, with fear of even losing his own life, Jeroboam decided that worshiping in Jerusalem was not a viable option for the northern tribes of Israel. He would have to do something else. What Jeroboam had forgotten was God's promise. God's promise given through the prophet Ahijah in 1 Kings 11.38. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do whatever is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. And his kingship was secured in the form of a promise from God, but it was challenged by his own doubt. It was challenged by his own unbelief. We cannot believe God and yet take things into our own hands. We must learn how to trust Him fully with our lives. When God makes a promise, friends, He intends to keep and fulfill His promise, regardless of the context we find ourselves. You see, God had promised Jeroboam the tangible presence of God. I will be with you. See, there's no greater security in life than a promise of God's manifest presence, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. In giving him the ten tribes of Israel, God already knew that the temple would no longer seem as accessible as it once was before. And certainly God was able to protect Jeroboam and all of the Israelites as they made that pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year for all the festivals without their hearts being turned to Rehoboam. So there is no good enough excuse, friends, for not worshiping. There is never a point in our lives when we stop worshiping. It's just a matter of who we are worshiping, whether we're worshiping God or we're worshiping an idol. Neither is Sunday the only day when we worship. In fact, if we worship only on Sunday, we have a spiritual problem. I know it's considered the Lord's day. I know it is the day when we gather as a church corporately. But how many of you realize today that Monday to Saturday is worship? It is. It's all worship. See, this is not a switch that you turn on and off in your life like a light bulb. This is a lifestyle. And godly leaders make all times and all places context for worship. And God never stops revealing himself to his people. So that means we never stop responding to his revelation in our lives. Second point this morning is idolatry is worship done out of convenience, verses 28 to 30. Scripture says, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. And he said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. And the people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. In verse 28, we find the second interpretive clue after seeking advice. See, the previous, in the same chapter, the previous verses, we see Rehoboam took the advice of his friends instead of the advice of the elders in his life. But it is clear here that Jeroboam was no better than Rehoboam. He made a spiritual decision that impacted all the people instead of allowing the people to decide for themselves whom they would serve. 
And he surmised that it was too much for them to go to Jerusalem. It cost too much money, too many resources used. It took too much time to travel all the way there. Any excuse that would keep them from the reach and influence of Rehoboam. And what unfolds in these next verses seems like deja vu to us. We've seen all of this before in Exodus 32 verse 4. Jeroboam, originally depicted as this Moses-type figure, is now depicted as an Aaron-type figure. The scripture says, He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Did you catch that? Not God's singular, God's plural. Idolatry is an attack on our strict monotheism, our belief in the oneness of God. See, Deuteronomy 6, 4, known as the Shema, reminds the people of God, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And as the Israelites grew and became more established as a people, they became more and more like the nations that surrounded them. They moved through three stages of faith. First, That stage was monotheism, which is the belief and the worship of one God. Second, they moved through another stage called monolatry, which is the belief and the worship of one God without the denial of the existence of other gods. And then third, there is polytheism, which is the belief and worship of many gods. And Israel's journey went from monotheism to monolatry all the way to polytheism, which was their downfall. We see this in the scripture. And Jeroboam is the one who is causing Israel to fall into idolatry. A theologian named Greg Beal, he said it best. We become what we worship. We become what we worship. You see, Jeroboam and the Israelites were just as stiff-necked in 1 Kings 12 as Aaron and the Israelites in Exodus 32. Psalm 115, 4 to 8 describes what happens to those who worship idols, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, they have feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all those who trust in them. See, idolatry will take the God-given life right out of you. Idolatry will numb all your senses. Jeroboam, he placed one golden calf in Dan in the north of Israel and the other golden calf in Bethel in the south of Israel. And Bethel was so special because it was a convenient place from Shechem where he placed his royal seat. So he was in close proximity to this Bethel worship site. But you see, worship is not convenient. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of our time. It's a sacrifice of our energy. We are to come and offer a living sacrifice to the Lord. It's a sacrifice. But friends, sin is very convenient. Verse 30 tells us plainly, and this became a sin. Third point this morning, idolatry is worship that is counterfeit. Idolatry is worship that is counterfeit. Verse 31 to 33, the scripture says, Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. And he instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month 
like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. And this he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. And on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. And so he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. In verse 33 we find the third interpretive clue of his own choosing. In our own sinfulness, you and I, we gravitate towards creating our own Christianity. We want a bespoke spirituality to fit and our individual wants and fit our individual needs. I'll take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of that. I don't want this. I don't want that. But you cannot pick and choose what parts of Christianity you keep and which parts you discard. Anything different from the full gospel, my friends, is a counterfeit gospel. And if you're put in a place of leadership, what you worship will become what others under your influence worship. We are not only worshipers, but we are also worship leaders. I think that's what Jeroboam is teaching us. We're not just worshipers of the true God. We are also worship leaders of the true God. We are also worshipers of idolatry. And we lead other people into idolatry. Don't belittle your influence today. This man, Jeroboam, he instituted a new cult for the northern kingdom of Israel to follow. And to get a sense of what this could have looked like, take a look at this picture. The charging bull sculpted by Arturo de Morica which has become a popular destination for selfies on Wall Street in New York City. You can see the picture behind me. Just think of that bull. It's made of bronze, not of gold. But I think this gives us a sense of what it looks like for them to, to make these golden calves. Now take that image in your mind and imagine walls around it and a roof above it. And there you have it. You have a temple shrine. It was in no way comparable to the grandeur of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, but it was meant to serve as a counterfeit religion. Bethel was not just an ordinary place. Bethel was a very special place, a significant location in the Bible. It was the place where the patriarch Jacob met God in a dream. Genesis 28, 16 to 19 accounts, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took a stone and he placed it under his, he, and he placed it under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Ignorant of the meaning of the name of the city and the encounter of the patriarch of Israel and all that he experienced in that place, Jeroboam turned what was once the house of God into a house of idolatry. Let's make a few comparisons between the temple in Jerusalem and this shrine in Bethel. You see, in Jerusalem, the tribe of Levi were set apart for service to the Lord in Solomon's temple with the family line of Aaron serving as priests and the other Levites serving in the, in the temple courts. But with Jeroboam's cult, anybody from any tribe was eligible to become a priest. 
The religious calendar that they used to celebrate festivals was modified, and the effect would have been likened to the changing of dates of Christmas or Easter, moving them later in the year by one month. Just think about that for a second. How wrong would it be if we celebrated Easter in May or Christmas in January? Like, that would just mess up our lives. Instead of allowing the high priest to serve the mediating role between God and the people, Jeroboam was right there in the midst of it all, making all the sacrifices on behalf of the people to golden calves. It's no wonder why God rejected Jeroboam. In 1 Kings 14.9, we read, You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Friends, our idolatry is our betrayal of God. When Jeroboam was the worst we have seen yet, he set a new bar for evil in Israelite royal history. And I pray that you and I will be remembered as people who have done more good than evil in comparison to those who have gone before us. That we will live with conviction in our lives instead of living a counterfeit faith and religion. As we conclude today, as the worship team prepares to come, it's a short message, it's a simple message, but I think it's an important message on idolatry that we cannot miss. I came across one verse this week that reinforces everything we've talked about this morning, but it does so in perhaps the most complexing, perplexing way. First John the book of the Bible in the New Testament, it ends with one final verse that doesn't seem to fit at all. At no point in John's gospel or in his three epistles does he ever find the word idol. He never uses this word. But then all of a sudden, it suddenly appears in 1 John 5.21, the very last word, verse with these words, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Seems out of place. Why here? Why now? Why all of a sudden? Why at the very end? Perhaps this is a specific word that God, through the Apostle John, has for all our children here, all our students here in service today. And that might be the case, but that's not exactly what the Apostle John meant when he said children. He's speaking as a spiritual father to spiritual children. His intention is not to belittle us as adults, but to encourage us and admonish us. He's addressing us as we really are, as children of God, children of faith. The question this morning is, will you receive this fatherly advice this morning, this command that is for every Christian, both for young and for old today? Because even when it doesn't seem necessary, or even when it feels out of place, we need the random reminders to cast down our idols and to return to the exclusive worship of God. My prayer today is that I'd be a reminder to you that the scripture would be a reminder to you to dethrone the idols of your life and make this your prayer today. Oh God, give me an undivided heart. Would you say that with me? Oh God, give me an undivided heart. That's our prayer. Let's pray.